Well, good morning, everyone. Um, my name's Matt. I'm the pastor here. And you may not realize this, but you were supposed to get Pastor Kenny this morning. You have me instead because uh, Pastor Kenny and Cindy, they got hit hard by COVID this week. Uh, and it's been a, a challenging health week. They are on the mend. They're doing better. Um, but uh, you're stuck with me. Uh, friends, let me just encourage you to be praying for Shakopee Campus, our brothers and sisters there, as they meet today, uh, because while I'm here, uh, they get a video of me over there, all right? And so let's be praying. That's, that's not what we normally do, uh, and change brings challenges, so let's be praying that God would be working through that. And, uh, before we jump into our sermon today, I just love to uh, spend some time praying together. Would you pray with me? Father... We're so thankful for uh, all that you do in our lives, for the chance to gather with you. Lord, we want to pray that you would be with the hurting today. I think of the Dvorak family on this one-year anniversary of Milt's passing and pray for your strength for them. God, I pray for, for the Jones family and for Sharon Kroom and um, all who have loved Hazel for years here at Friendship, and we pray for your strength and for your comfort for them as well. Lord, many others, uh, Lord, where uh, challenges uh, and even the passing of loved ones have been a part of the last few weeks, we want to pray for you to be their strength. God, uh, we pray for your healing. We recognize that uh, uh, this is a season of illness and just ask for you to be with us and strengthen us and we want to be used by you in the midst of the challenges that we face. In Jesus' name, amen. As we jump into our, our sermon for the day, it is a part of the series that we're doing called Exodus, the Deliverer. We've been walking with Moses and the people of Israel as they are being prepared for freedom. They're going to leave Egypt and experience freedom, spoiler alert. And we've been looking at that in the first few chapters of the book of Exodus. And so we're going to continue that as we spend some time in Exodus today. Have you ever chosen something that was a cheap imitation instead of the real thing? You, you ever chosen something that was a cheap imitation instead of the real thing? My wife and I, we are on occasion getting caught up on some episodes of an old USA Network show called Monk. All right, some of you have seen Monk, yeah, some of you are fans of Monk. If you've never seen it, don't worry about it, it's 20 years old, I didn't realize that. As we're getting caught up, we came across an episode a couple of weeks ago where the entire group of detectives have to go to New York City to follow up on a case. One of those detectives, his name is, is Randy, and Randy's about as sharp as a marble, and while Randy's in New York City, Randy goes and decides that he's going to buy a Rolex on the street. And he pays $200 for this Rolex, and it's not more than a couple hours after he bought it that it's running so fast he can't tell anybody the time. The next day, the watch is running very slow, and soon the gold begins to turn colors. Then the watch stops telling time altogether, and finally, the watch starts smoking on his arm, catches on fire, and he has to rip it off his arm and stomp on it. For Randy... Choosing a cheap imitation turned out to be costly. 
That is often the way that it works in our world. Choosing a cheap imitation often turns out to be costly. And that is always true for the people of God. If we choose cheap imitations, it's costly to our soul, it's costly to our lives. And in Exodus chapter 7 through 12, we're going to see the cheap imitations that were offered to Israel and how they said no to those cheap imitations. They wouldn't settle for those cheap imitations. They insisted on the real thing and the blessings that were theirs because of that. Now, we're going to be looking at Exodus 7 through 12. That's six chapters because we want to look at all ten of the plagues that come upon Egypt together. Now, if we're going to cover six chapters, I'm not reading all of those verses here this morning. So you're going to have to do that reading on your own. I'm just going to hit some of the highlights of, these, of this story of the ten plagues of Egypt in order to help us understand the cost of choosing cheap imitations and how we need to be choosing the real thing. The plagues of Egypt are a part of a conflict that we began to see in last week's verses. Moses and Aaron came before Pharaoh, and they said, the Lord, Yahweh, says to let my people go so that they can go and worship me and sacrifice to me. Pharaoh's response to that in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2 was, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover... I will not let Israel go. Instead of letting Israel go, what does he do? He significantly increases their workload and increases the beatings. He says, uh, you want to be let go? This Lord, whoever that is, says, let, let Israel go? No, Israel belongs to me. And I'm going to show they belong to me by increasing their workload and increasing their beatings when they don't meet that workload. In Exodus chapter 7 through 12, we see this, this uh, battle that is going on for custody of Israel. God said in last week's passage, they're my children. They're my people. They're my firstborn son. Pharaoh, on the other hand, is saying, nope, they belong to me. These are my slaves. And there is this custody battle that goes on in chapter 7 through 12 over Israel. And God is going to bring plagues on the land in order to assert his authority and win this custody battle. And as God brings these plagues upon Egypt, there's a pattern. And the pattern of the plagues looks like this. Moses tells Pharaoh that God wants him to let his people go. Pharaoh says, no way. God then brings a plague on the land, and in the midst of that plague and that hardship, Pharaoh relents and tells Moses that they can go. Then Pharaoh reneges on that promise once the plague is gone. That's the general pattern that we see over the course of the plagues. And as this battle for custody over Israel goes on, on one side of the battle is Yahweh. Right? You'll see that on the last slide, when it said Lord, Lord was all in capital letters. Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? And so the great I am is on one side of the battlefield. And on the other side of the battlefield is Pharaoh, who is considered divine by his people. 
thought of having control over life and death in Egypt. And aligned next to him are all of the gods of Egypt that they worship. And in these plagues, God asserts his authority over all of these imitation gods of Egypt one by one in the plagues. So, when he turns the Nile to blood, he is asserting his authority over Hapi, the spirit of the Nile that the Egyptians worshipped. When he brings frogs on the land, he's asserting his authority over Hecht, who, who was a god who was in the form of a frog. When he brings the gnats, he's asserting his authority over Seb, the god of swarming creatures. With the flies, it's Utikt, the god who manifested as a fly. Uh, with the disease of the cattle, it's Apis, the bull god. With the boils, it's Sekhmet, the god of healing. With the destruction of the crops, first by hail and then by locusts, it's Seth, the protector of the crops and the one who makes crops fertile. With the darkness, it is the famous sun god, Ra, that God asserts his authority over. And then with the death of the firstborn, he asserts his authority over Isis, the goddess of life and death, and over Pharaoh himself, who was thought to have control over life and death in Egypt. God has asserted his authority through these plagues, defeating the gods of Egypt one by one, one at a time. And as we look at this battle and all that goes on here, we see the way that Israel was tempted to worship imitations. Right? We see the way over decades Israel was faced with a temptation to worship imitations. They were in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years in which they experienced pressure and persecution, growing pressure and persecution. If they had simply said, let's just live as Egyptians. We've been in Egypt for hundreds of years. Come on. Let's just live as Egyptians. Melt into this melting pot. Worship their gods. Be a part of the Egyptian people then all of that pressure and persecution would have ended and they would have experienced more of the spoils of Egypt, more of the comforts, more of the riches of the land. Things would have been immediately easier if they just would have become Egyptians and started to worship the Egyptian gods. But it would have been the worst mistake that Israel possibly could have made because as the plagues show us, they would have been worshiping knockoff gods. They would have been worshiping cheap imitations. And God shows these gods of Egypt to be cheap imitations one at a time. There was this tremendous temptation Israel faced to worship imitations, but they wouldn't give in to that temptation. But that's not the only temptation about imitations that Israel faced while they were in Egypt. We also see in this passage, Israel faced a temptation toward imitation worship of the one true God. So not only did Israel face this temptation to worship false gods, they also faced a temptation towards false worship of the one true God. Both are true in this passage. God had a plan for his people that involved worship. What was that plan? That plan was that they would leave Egypt and the control of Pharaoh and be free to worship their God. 
And as we make our way through the plagues, Pharaoh is regularly offering to Moses and the Israelites cheap imitations of that plan. Cheap imitations of the worship that God wants for them. So in the fourth plague, the plague of flies, can you imagine how that must have been? Flies everywhere. Flies in all your food. Flies in your bed. Flies in your hair. Flies everywhere you go. And the people of Egypt couldn't take it anymore. And Pharaoh couldn't take it anymore. And so he calls Moses in to meet with him. And Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. Pharaoh says, I can't take it anymore. Just go sacrifice. Isn't this what they've been asking for? No, not quite, is it? Because where does Pharaoh allow them to go and sacrifice and worship their God? Within the land. Why? Because as long as they're sacrificing and worshiping within the land, they won't be free. He will continue to have custody over the people of Israel. And so Moses says, no, we're not going to do that within the land. We have to leave the land. And do you know what Pharaoh's response to that is? He's so tired of these flies and all of his food that he says, go, get out of here. And the flies go away. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm just kidding. You can't go anywhere. Right? He reneges on his promise. As we move forward to the eighth of the, of the plagues of Egypt, that plague is locusts coming upon the land. And Pharaoh, uh, Moses comes and he proclaims that, that locusts are going to come on the land, and Pharaoh doesn't want that. There have been seven plagues. They have deeply devastated the land. And he knows locusts are going to make it all much worse. But he also doesn't want to lose his slave labor. And so he makes Moses an offer. In chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, But he said to them, The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for this is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. When I said he, he made an offer, I don't, I don't know if that's the proper terminology here. Right? Hey, go do this, and then I'm driving you out of my presence. End of discussion. What is Pharaoh offering here? You guys want to go and sacrifice outside the land? Go ahead, but just the men. you got to leave the women and the children here. Why is Pharaoh offering for just the men to go? Because he knows they'll come back for the women and the children. Yeah, go sacrifice wherever you want, but leave the women and the children, because then I know you'll come back, and I'll retain custody over the people. You will remain enslaved. Moses, and led by the Lord, isn't going to fall for that. And so we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. God wants all of his people to go and worship him. Pharaoh offers a cheap imitation and says, some of your people can go. And Moses, led by the Lord, says, no, we're not going to fold for that. Right? That isn't the plan that God has for us. That's not his full goodness and freedom that he calls us to. Now, the ninth plague is the plague of darkness. 
Again, can you imagine what that must have been like? Dark day and night. People are running into each other, walking into the wrong houses. They're mixing up the sugar and the salt. Right? There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the dark. But realistically, all work has come to a halt in Egypt. There is no more industry going on at this point because it is complete and utter darkness. And so Pharaoh calls Moses into his presence once again and says, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. There we go. Only let the flocks and your herds remain behind. What's the offer now? The offer is all the people can go. That seems to be a really big deal to you, Moses. So go ahead. Take the men, the women, the children. Take everybody. But I want you to leave all of your animals behind. What's the problem with that? Well, they're going to sacrifice to their God. There's a requirement for animal sacrifice, and that's animals. On top of that, these animals, they are their wealth. They are all that they own. If they're going to leave Egypt, they need these animals. And so Pharaoh is making this offer, knowing full well that what's going to happen when they go and sacrifice and worship? They're coming back. They're going to have to come back for those animals. And I will retain control. And they will remain enslaved. And so, Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. And I, I picture Moses saying this in like his best Sylvester Stallone voice. Not a hoof shall be left behind. Not a hoof. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know what, uh, with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Moses said, all the animals come with us. That's God's plan, and we won't settle for less than God's plan for how we are to worship Him. Pharaoh keeps offering cheap imitations for God's plan, cheap imitations on how they are to worship, and Moses and the people of Israel keep saying, no, we're not going to go for that. And it's great that they did, because like with Randy's watch, those cheap imitations would have proved very costly. They would have been able to go and worship for a brief period of time, and ultimately they would have remained enslaved. So they don't go for those cheap imitations. Let's, let's talk about this in our own lives. Let's talk about not settling for cheap imitations in our own lives. Jesus has a plan for our life, and that plan is the same as we see here, to set us free so we can worship Him. As God wanted to set the people of Israel free from Egypt so that they could go and worship Him, so Jesus' design is to set us free from sin so that we can use our lives to worship Him. That's His great desire. That's His great plan. But like with the Israelites, if we settle for cheap imitations, we do damage to that plan. There is a constant temptation from the world around us to worship imitations, to worship false gods or idols. Now, we're not tempted to worship Ra. We're not, we're not tempted to worship uh, Happy. Those aren't the temptations, but we are tempted to worship a number of different things that we might put in the place of God 
as the priority in our life. Uh, For example, the idol of possessions. There's a constant temptation in our world to seek security by having enough rather than by, by depending upon the Lord. A constant temptation to seek happiness through the next thing, the next upgrade, rather than seeking our contentment in the Lord. Or or the false god of popularity. Uh, A constant temptation in order to seek contentment by having people be pleased with us, rather than seeking the good pleasure of the Lord. By having enough people like us, or by having that right person that we term as a soulmate like us, then we can live happily ever after instead of seeking that contentment through the Lord. There is the idol of power. The world is constantly saying, life is about getting your way. And so I seek to get my way in my marriage. I seek to get my way at work. If I can just get my way, things will be better. And so we have the idol of power that creeps in. The idol of pleasure seeking comfort in the things of the world, seeking ease. The world offers seeking pleasure as a substitute for the living God. We would, say, we would never say, well, yeah, pleasure is my primary motivation in life. But every time that we spend a day watching hours of Netflix and can't get to the Word to spend time with the Lord, we are saying, yep, pleasure is the idol that we are giving into. Performance. The world says, ultimately, your life is going to be okay if you just do well at everything. Do well at school, do well at work, do well at your religious services. The secret in life is to just do well. And when our hearts become focused on getting A's rather than drawing close to Jesus, that's an idol in our life. The idol of politics. The world tempts us to see people through the lens of political affiliation rather than through the lens of Jesus and the gospel. The world tempts us to make decisions motivated primarily by our political understandings rather than by God and His Word. That's an idol. That's a cheap imitation. And finally, progeny. Can you tell I had to search a little bit here? family, kids. When Jesus says, if you love son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being my disciple, he is addressing one of the greatest false gods of any age. There is a constant temptation to make our children, rather than God, the priority of our life. And while our kids are very important to us, when it comes to being the priority of life, They're an imitation. Only God belongs in that spot. I want to just invite you to to take a minute and look at that list and ask the Lord, Lord, are there any of these things that are creeping into your place as the priority of my life? Lord, are are there any of these imitation gods that are creeping into the place of priority? Just take a moment and talk to him about that. We say no to worshiping imitations. We say no to worshiping false gods. We, we say no to the good things of this world taking God's place as the priority in our life. 
But the temptations towards imitations isn't just a temptation towards worshiping imitations. It's also a temptation towards false gospels or imitation gospel. Jesus calls upon us to follow after him. And if we are to be saved, then we are to turn to him as our Savior and our Lord. If we only seek to turn to Jesus as our Savior and we have no interest in him ruling over our lives, then that is an imitation gospel. That isn't what Jesus calls us to. It's a, a false gospel. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. A person is saved by God's grace through faith alone. But, but a genuine faith, a, a biblical faith, is always a faith that is accompanied by repentance and leads to obedience. Right? We're saved by grace through faith alone, but a genuine faith is always accompanied by repentance and leads to obedience. And so Jesus calls us to be people who follow after him. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says that if we are to be saved, we must confess Jesus as, not just Savior, but as Lord. Confessing Jesus as Lord means recognizing His full authority over all of my life and every day that I have. It means recognizing that His priorities determine my priorities because He is my Savior and Lord over my life. Satan and the world around me want me to buy into a cheap imitation of the gospel that is really not following after Jesus at all. It's often called easy believism. Easy believism is seeking to be saved by Jesus without submitting to him. Right? E easy believism is often about praying a prayer to get into heaven, but not actually following after Jesus in our daily lives. A German pastor and theologian that was martyred in the World War II uh, named Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about easy believism, referring to it as cheap grace. And when he writes about cheap grace, he writes this, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. In the core discipleship curriculum, we wrote this. Salvation by grace alone through faith alone is so much more than simply mouthing the words, Jesus is Lord. We're not saved by a profession of faith. We're not saved by praying the sinner's prayer. We're not saved by signing a card, walking an aisle, or getting baptized. We're saved by a living and active faith. A faith that manifests itself in repentance, obedience, and love of God and neighbor. Salvation is not a transaction, it is a transformation. We, we want to be like Moses in rejecting cheap substitutes for God's plan that calls us to follow after Jesus Christ. We, we want the real thing because it's only in the real thing when Jesus is our Savior and Lord of our life that we experience the joy and fullness of life that he's called us to. We want the real thing. We say no to imitation gospels. 
And the final imitation that we want to reject is imitation worship. We say no to imitation worship. God wanted his people to leave the land of Egypt and worship him. He had a plan for that. Pharaoh keeps presenting one imitation after another as to how they are to worship God. And Moses and Israel, led by the Lord, say, no, no, no. We're not going to give in to these imitations, these false ways to worship our God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We live in a day when sound teaching is not enough for some people. Uh, Some people. We live in an age when some people will choose churches based on whether or not it gives them the feels. They'll choose churches based on whether or not the person speaking has charisma or a sense of humor more than they do on how faithful the ministry is to the Word of God and how much the people care about the Word and God's work through it. We live in an age when some people, again, not all, but some people aren't interested in worship that is God-focused, but instead are, are only interested in worship that's about them, their advancement, their blessing, their wants. We live in an age when some people want to avoid hard subjects that the Bible talks about that are a part of sound teaching, and they just want to hear things that in their mind are positive and encouraging. We live in an age where we see worship that falls short of God's design in some settings, and we want to make sure that that isn't us, that we say no to imitation worship, but that our worship is driven by the things that God has given to us in His Word. Our worship is always focused on Him. It's all about Him. That our worship is humble, so that it's all about Him in a way that makes us think of others ahead of ourselves in worship. That our worship is always sacrificial as we bring all of ourselves and everything we have before God. And on and on we could go with what the Bible calls us to in worship. We want to make sure our worship is about what God has given to us. All the goodness that he has for us in it. And not giving in to imitation worship. We want to make sure that we don't give in uh, to any sort of false offerings, any sort of cheap substitutes. That means we want to say no to worshiping imitations, say no to worshiping false gods in our lives. We want to say no to imitation gospels, recognizing that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what is full of life. We want to say no to imitation worship and worship the Lord the way that he has called us to. One of the ways that the Lord calls us to worship is at the table that we celebrate. Week in and week out, we celebrate the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ, that He is our substitute, that He's taken our sins and our punishment so that we can be free in Him. We celebrate that at this table and we do it in the way that He's called us to. So I want to invite you to just take a minute before we go to the table today and just Confess your sins before the Lord. 
right your heart with him. And as we confess our sins before the Lord and prepare to come to this table, we are reminded by the elements of the table of His great mercy and His grace. That we have relationship with the living God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. I want to invite you when you're ready to make your way to one of the tables in the corners of the room where you can pick up the bread that represents Jesus' body and the cup that represents his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. And after you've picked up those elements at the tables in the corners of the room, you can return to your seats and we'll take those elements together. Would you stand with me and let's continue to praise Jesus as a church family.